0: This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. Check out the first 12 all-new starships in the collection and discover how to get yours at EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships.
1: This episode is also brought to you by Blue Apron. Check out this week's menu and get $30 off your first order with free shipping by going to BlueApron.com slash Mission Log.
2: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 263. Preemptive Strike.
0: Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm
1: John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we go undercover to weed out the most intricate nuances of Star Trek in a search for the morals, meanings, and messages in each and every story. This
0: week, preemptive strike. The one where Ensign Roe is now Lieutenant Rowe, and Picard isn't quite sure if she can be trusted. Plus, Riker gets to go undercover as Bajoran with that, that nice earring to offset his beard. Not the first time he's been undercover
1: with Roe. Hello! Whoa! Whoa, <laughs> Doctor. Whoa. I'm, I think we still get to keep our family rating with that. I hope so.
0: I've got trivia
1: coming up in just a moment, but first... But first, a word from Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships Collection. Have you heard of this Discovery show that people are talking about, John? Hmm. I have a passing familiarity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a show. It's apparently a, it's apparently a Star Trek show, hmm. and it's back from hiatus as we record this. Now, time to coincide with its return. Eagle Moss wants to give Mission Log listeners a chance to check out the great big Discovery ships in the Eagle Moss collection.
0: Well, you've heard us talk about the Shenzhou and the Discovery, but a lot more ships are joining the fleet. Seven Federation ships are on the way, including the USS Kerala, the Jaeger, and the Europa, as well as five Klingon vessels, including the reimagined Klingon Bird of Prey and the K'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R'R How's my pronunciation there? The K'ah class destroyer.
1: It's not it's, it's not bad. I think the K'ah was uh, captained by Call, if memory serves. <laughs>
0: I was thinking that too. I'm
1: Good. not 100% certain though. Here's what you'll see when you visit EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships. They have renderings there that serve as the basis for the die-cast models themselves, painstakingly reproduced as always under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. Now, these are officially authorized by CBS Studios. They're about 8 to 10 inches long from bow to stern. They're hand-painted. They're rich in detail. I am here to tell you, 12-year-old you would have traded so much for these ships.
0: (laughs) Uh, Wait, Ken, um, have you forgotten about the magazines and the stands?
1: No. No, I have not, because I know you love the stands, John, and so I was leaving those for you. Please tell people, do these come with stands?
0: I love the stats. So, subscribers will get their first ship, the USS Shinzo NCC1227, for only $9.95 with free shipping. Additional models, including the iconic USS Discovery NCC1031, will then ship monthly for the special subscriber's price of only $44.95 each. That's 20% off the standard retail price also with free shipping.
1: Now, people who want to pick and choose their ships can do that. For that, you go to shop.eaglemoss.com or check your local comic shop, actually. You're going to pay about 10 bucks more there, but saving money isn't the only reason to subscribe. Subscribers get free gifts worth over a $100 during their subscription, and, of course, you can cancel your subscription at any time. So... To subscribe, eaglemoss.com
0: slash discovery starships. To buy individually, shop.eaglemoss.com. And a huge thanks to Eaglemoss for sponsoring
1: this week's show. John's got trivia coming up in a moment, but first, I want to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323 522 5641 is the phone number to call. 323 522 5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Uh, let's see. Six more times for trivia involving next-gen, but only two more times. Only two more times for trivia and the next generation television series for the next to the last time as seen on TV. Won't you please hit us with the trivia, Mr. Champion.
0: Today's episode, preemptive strike. Now the story is by Naren Shankar recently for us. He got the writing credit on homeward and this is the last of his next gen credits. He'll make a couple of more Trek contributions coming up though on deep space nine and Voyager. The script credit goes to Rene Echeverria. And likewise, this is Rene's last script for Next Gen. Uh, he most recently penned Firstborn in our coverage. And he spent a lot more time over at Deep Space Nine, starting with Season 3, which will take him all the way up to their penultimate episode as well. Now, originally, this episode was titled The Good Fight, but it was too close to the name of the finale, so it was changed kind of at the last minute. At least one retrospective article, this one from TV Guide, used the original name in print. Uh, so it is out there as the good fight in at least one place. Uh, this episode was directed by Patrick Stewart. Remember this guy? He directed a total of five Next Gen episodes. Um, those were his only directing credits. And and by the way, the, those other four Next Gen episodes, you may remember, Ken, were really data-heavy episodes. Interesting that in this one, takes a big turn. Not a lot of data, not a lot of the other characters in the show. It's a heavy uh, Roe episode with a bit of Captain Picard in there as well. We have two deleted scenes. There's dialogue between Ro and Santos, a little more of Ro talking about her past experiences. And then we have an extension of the scene between Ro and Picard in the Observation Lounge. Uh, she's getting a little more detail from Picard about the mission, he says that the intention is to overwhelm the Maquis in surrendering, or else he may have to, quote-unquote, disable their ships. Hey, welcome back to uh, an old favorite prop, Ken. It's the uh, the old standby, the Veron T-Disruptor. Glad to see it making uh, a last appearance here in Next Gen. And speaking of last appearances, let's talk about our guest stars. Well, we do have the last appearance on Next Gen of Natalia Nagulich as Admiral Necheyev. We will see her again in Deep Space Nine briefly. This is, of course, the last appearance of Roe Laren, therefore, the last appearance of Michelle Forbes in Star Trek. Now, she had been asked to carry on to Deep Space Nine when that show launched, but she declined the offer. She appeared nine times on Next Gen, eight of those
1: as Roe Laren. And I gotta say, this, of course, means the last time that we can bring up the fact that she, many, many years ago, before Next Gen, uh, was on the Guiding Light, mm. which means another chance to bring up the Zaz.
0: Yeah, there he is.
1: Yeah, the taking Zazz. us all the way back to the beginning of Star Trek. Well, the beginning of broadcast Star Trek. Anyway, Michael Zaslow and uh, and um, Michelle Forbes may have crossed paths on mm-hmm. the set of Guiding Light. Now we'll have to check that out in our Guiding Light podcast, which is going to be harder to do because you know what I found out? What's that? Guiding Light's not on CBS All Access. Oh. 50 okay. years of history. 50 years of history. You can't stream it. All we right, right. We'll, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm penning a letter right now. Hang on. Do you okay. hear this? Do you hear this? That's the pen. I'm using <laughs> the pen a letter, the letter right okay. now. Yeah. Good.
0: Good. Good. A strongly worded letter, I hope. <laughs> All right. Maceius is played by John Franklin Robbins. John was a long-working British actor, starting way back in 1955. The vast majority of his work was in television, and a couple of standouts for me in his resume are playing a Time Lord in the Doctor Who episode Genesis of the Daleks, and he was in I, Claudius as Atticus. Interestingly, his name in this episode, Macius, is that of a Cuban freedom fighter. Santos is played by William Thomas Jr. This is his only Trek appearance, but he's been around TV for a while, including guest and recurring roles on shows like Frank's Place, The Cosby Show, Cop Rock, and The West Wing. Kalita was played by Shannon Cochran. Shannon is from Georgia, but ended up doing a lot of theater in Chicago. She was in Steve Martin's Picasso with the Pana Gilles, and she got a Jeff Award for her performance in Pal Joey. Her work in front of the camera is primarily in TV, and we will be seeing more of her in Trek. Kalita will make an appearance in Deep Space Nine, but we will also see Shannon as different characters on that show, as well as in Star Trek Nemesis. And hey, it's just like we met Gul Evek, and in fact, we did just meet Gul evec way back in the episode Journey's End, played there and here by Richard Poe. Those are his only two next-gen appearances, but... He'll be back for a handful more in Deep Space Nine, and then again in Voyager, all as Gull-Evec.
2: Party intent forward. And who does not like a party? Oh, right. The guest of honor.
1: Prologue. Ro Laren's back from advanced technical training, and it's a party. Like, literally, they're throwing her a welcome back party. But it's a bit overwhelming for the newly promoted lieutenant, and Captain Picard sees that. He orders Roe to the bridge, not because he needs her there, but to give her a little breathing room. And it gives them a chance to catch up. Picard is impressed, though not surprised, that Roe succeeded at tactical training. Roe, meanwhile, is grateful for the faith Picard has shown in her. If not for him, her life would be quite different. This reunion interrupted by a distress call from a Cardassian ship near the Demilitarized Zone. The ship is under attack by, wait for it... A bunch of small Federation ships. Act 1. The Enterprise arrives on the scene and, yep, a bunch of little Federation ships attacking a big Cardassian ship. Picard identifies the small ships as Maquis. Computer, what can you tell us about the Maquis?
2: Accessing Memory Alpha. The Maquis are a rebellious organization of Federation-born colonists and discontented Starfleet officers who organized against the Cardassian occupation of their homes in the demilitarized zone, after their colonies were ceded to the Cardassian Union by Federation-Cardassian treaties in the late 2360s and early 2370s.
1: Thank you. Whatever. The Maquis are going in for the kill, something the Enterprise can't allow. Of course, they don't want to fire on Federation ships either. Instead, Picard has Worf detonate a photon torpedo between the Cardassians and the Maquis. The smaller ships get the message, regroup, and take off, leaving the Enterprise to assist with the wounded Cardassians. Their commander, Gullivac, is full of barbs. The Maquis have some really good weapons and count former Starfleet officers among their ranks. His implication is that Starfleet is backing the Maquis, something Picard vehemently denies. Of course, he can make a similar argument for recent attacks on Federation colonists by paramilitary Cardassian forces, though... Golovac doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, things are tense. Tense enough to bring Admiral Necheyev to the scene, though she just missed Golovac by a few hours. Necheyev's kind of just there to confirm the worst. The Cardassian government is arming its rebels. Meanwhile, not only are the ranks of the Maquis growing, they're moving from defense to offense. They seem to be preparing for a more aggressive military posture. The Maquis need to be stopped. But their organization is spread out. Secret. Starfleet wants an undercover operative, and they want that operative to be Lieutenant Roe Laren. Picard explains it to Roe. They want her because of her recent training, because she's Bajoran, and because of her troubled history with Starfleet. Of course, her history goes back further than that. She grew up under Cardassian occupation. She doesn't say that she's sympathetic to the Maquis, but she implies it. And Picard gets that. Heck, he's sympathetic. Federation colonists in the Demilitarized zone are in a tough spot. But the peace treaty with the Cardassians must stand, or hundreds of thousands of lives could be lost. Ultimately, Rose says that she can see one good reason to carry out her mission, to validate Picard's faith in her. Act two, and the Infiltration is Underway. Roe, dressed in 24th century civvies, is in a seedy bar, hiding from a couple of scary Starfleet officers. An android and a Klingon walk into a bar. <clears throat> they lay out her backstory. Roe is being sought for the murder of a Cardassian soldier, something that's bound to play well with Federation folk in the DMZ. Some guy at the bar says she went that away, even though she's right there in the bar hiding by making out with some guy. With the Starfleet officers gone, she thanks the guy at the bar, not the guy she was making out with, and they have a short conversation. He wants to know if Roe really killed a Cardassian soldier, indicates that that would be a good thing, indicates that he knows more people who feel the same way. In short, he says he's Maquis without saying he's Maquis. Roe says she'd like to meet more people like him, and for her trouble, is stunned with a phaser. Eh, easier than a blindfold. When she wakes up, she's in a small room being grilled by the guy at the bar and a couple of others, one of whom is obviously their leader. Did she kill that Cardassian? How did she come to be here? Why does she hate Cardassian so much? She's got a question of her own. Are you Maquis? Because if you are, I want to join in the fight. The leader, Macias, sends his underlings, Santos and Kalida to check out Rose's story. Then he takes Roe for a walk. He's an older man, probably about the age of Roe's father if he'd not been killed by the Cardassians. His story is sad, but common around the zone. Went to sleep on the Federation planet, woke up on a Cardassian planet thanks to the peace treaty. No one outside the zone really understands what's going on. Only the Maquis. Time for lunch. Roe says she's not hungry and the old man goes for Hesperot a Bajoran food a friend of his used to make. A friend killed fighting the Cardassian occupation of Bajor. Rose says her father used to make Hasparat, taught her to make it. At his request, Rose says she would be happy to make it for Macius. Santos and Kalita return with good news. Rose's story checks out. Macias says he knew it would. And just like that, she's in, meeting on a fairly high-level operation with others from the Maquis. They hear the Cardassians are about to start arming groups with biogenic weapons. They'll need to hit with a preemptive strike, letting the Cardassians know that they'll not take aggression lying down. But first, they'll need medical supplies. Rose says she can get them. She'll steal them from the Enterprise. Kalita can come along. As help. And as a witness that no, Rose is not working with Starfleet. She's stealing from them. Act 3. Rose steals the medical supplies from the Enterprise. Okay, not really, but she makes it look like she does, with Kalita right next to her in the shuttle. Basically, the tactical officer concocts a crazy story about sneaking through the shields of the Enterprise, sends a secret message to the Enterprise, they figure out what she's doing, let her through, and boom! Medical supplies for the Maquis. Kalita is very impressed, and tells stories of Rose daring do when they return to the Maquis base. But Macy is well, he's impressed, but this proves nothing to him that he didn't already know. Since they first met, he tells her, he's known that in her heart, Roe was one of his kind. Act 4. Rose's actions have earned her a bit of freedom. That includes access to a ship, which she takes straight to the Enterprise. She tells Picard of the Maquis belief that the Cardassians are supplying people with biogenic weapons. He doesn't believe that, but it does give him an idea. Rowe should supply the Maquis with evidence of biogenic weapons' shipments. Then when the Maquis move to preemptively strike the convoy carrying the weapons, the Federation will curtail the Maquis threat. "'Basically,' says Rowe, "'I'll be leading them into a trap.'" "'Yeah,' says Picard. You "'Got a problem with that?' "'Well, if I do,' says Rowe, "'it won't stop me from carrying out my duty.'" Back with the Maquis, Macias and his people take the bait. But the convoy will be too big for them alone. They'll have to call in other members of other Maquis cells. And they do. And those cells commit. Macias brings the good news to Roe and talks of the celebration they'll have once the Cardassians realize that they can't win. That the Maquis will not be moved. Sure, it'll take time, but it'll be a grand celebration. Ro will make hosperat while Macias will make a blueberry pie and play the Bella Clavian. And Roe is rocked. Her father played the Clavian. He used to scare away monsters under her bed. But when he died, she realized even he couldn't make all the monsters go away. Well, that tears it. Macias doesn't want to wait. They'll go to the market, get food, and celebrate now. A celebration of... Absolutely nothing. Just to celebrate. Roe says she'd like that. Right before Masius is shot by rogue Cardassians. Three Cardassians have infiltrated the compound, and all three are taken down, but it's too late for Macias and a few others. Roe begs Macias to hang on, but it's no use. With his dying breath, he tells Roe that when an old fighter like him dies, someone steps up to take his place. Then with a smile for Roe... Macias closes his eyes for the last time. Act 5. Back to the CD bar, where we find Captain Picard in 24th Century Civvies. Roe meets him and they sneak off to a secluded table. To the casual observer, he looks like a guy negotiating terms of companionship. Really, though, they're talking over plans. Roe says they have to cancel the mission. The Maquis didn't go for the bait. But this is a lie and Picard knows it. The truth is, she's having misgivings. She says she doesn't want to let Picard down, but he says it's not about him. It's about her. If she backs out now, her career is over. He could have her brought before a board of inquiry for the lie that she just told him, and he will have her court-martialed if she sabotages this mission going forward. She says she'll carry out her orders, though Picard thinks she needs backup now. She'll take Riker back with her, posing as a relative, eager to join the fight. In the end, though, she can't do it. She won't. Just as the Maquis are poised to attack, she pulls a phaser on Riker, saying she can't let this happen. Instead, she reveals the presence of the Starfleet ships waiting hidden from the Maquis. They abort the mission, though Rose's ship is still headed toward the Enterprise. Picard orders her arrested when she arrives, but that's not going to happen. Rowa is beamed to another of the Maquis' ships, though before she beams out, she explains to Riker. It's been a long time since she really felt like she belonged somewhere. Also, she asks Riker to tell Picard that she's sorry. Back on the Enterprise, Riker relays the message to a Picard who seems as hurt and angry as any Picard we've ever seen the end.
0: Man, That uh, there's so much heavy stuff in this episode. Um, yeah. And fortunately, this is not the segment where we deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to kick things off in this segment by saying that uh, at the opening of the show, that is a really boring buffet.
1: Um, well... You didn't get a good shot of it though, that's the thing. Like when, when um when Beverly said, or I can't remember who it was, Beverly or Troy, one of them said, Oh, that's real Yeah, Troy Troy points out the Majoran thing, yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell if she was pointing to food or to the centerpiece. It,
0: it looked like the centerpiece. It looked like we were supposed to look at that plant.
1: Which may have been the food.
0: Yeah could have been but the only other things there were like just a a, a fruit platter and <laughs> and that was it i mean because look i i've seen i think wharf was there and i've seen wharf eat and he's got like the turkey leg and the octopus and all that other stuff and I, i'm just saying they, they can replicate anything
1: yes had wharf actually eyed the centerpiece he might have just picked the whole thing up and eaten it oh that would
0: have been awesome yeah <laughs> <laughs> i want to see that um there was a line in here where uh, Gullovec says to Picard that uh, the Maquis were using photon torpedoes. They, they came at us with photon torpedoes and type eight phasers. And I was so type ready. Eight. I guess I was so ready for an indignant Picard response. <laughs>
1: type eight. Type yeah. eight. That's like, that's like one up from type seven. Yes. And oh my gosh, that's like two up from type six. Yeah. He missed oh, something must be done. Something must be done.
0: Totally missed an opportunity there. Yeah. Um, very nice to see the return of Admiral Necheyev. And I and I really prefer this kind of thing to the Admiral of the Week. It, it's nice to have an ongoing relationship with this character. Um, but the only criticism I have of that scene is a really weird teapot. And, and I know, I know, I get it that it's a space teapot. Yeah. But uh, just from a practical point of view, those divots in the side, they, they leave a lot of empty space that should be reserved for tea. And and also, those cups, they, they look like they've been in a transporter accident.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I hate those cups. I hate them. Mm-hmm. If I had those cups, there would definitely be more tea on my front than there would be in my mouth. <laughs> right, yeah. The thing about yeah. the teapot, though, is I'm not sure why it upsets you so much because, you know, it's a little teapot, short and stout. It's not, yeah. It's kind of mm-hmm. handle. It's kind of spout. It spout. Pretty much does exactly <laughs> what it's supposed to do. Uh, to your point, really quickly though, about Admiral Necheyev, uh you're right. It is great um, to not just fa- have Admiral of the Week. Yeah. And I think I think really last you know seven episodes of the last season of the show you're doing great time to introduce continuity <laughs> in the uh, command structure.
0: Oh yeah, brilliant, <laughs> it's brilliant. fantastic. Yeah. Glad they figured that out.
1: Yeah, good times.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, And, uh, look, here's just a a minor thing, and I know that it's a TV show, and I know it's not real, and I know that the script is really just there to serve the story. But I love, in a hilarious way, Ro walking into the bar, followed by Worf and Data 10 seconds later, asking if anyone has seen her, and then not looking. Yeah. (laughs) We condense so much into, like, five lines of dialogue.
1: Yes, although it does give us the chance to, say, an android and a Klingon walk into a bar. So it does. Cool. It does, yeah. Uh, a little disappointed. You do a fine job with trivia every week. You well, do a fine, you. fine thank job. You. But you didn't mention in trivia who played Joe Dirt, um, <laughs> the, the alien that rode passed on her way into the bar. Seriously, that guy mm-hmm. won the Intergalactic Mullet Championship for literally every year he entered. I'm sure of <sighs> that. Because yeah. that was... So good. That was like a little business in the front, serious party in the back. <laughs> Um, I will say, uh, there is a problem with her infiltration story and this is a a tiny bit more serious in which system would the Cardassians be like, somebody killed one of our guys. Well, we'll have to do something about that at some point. Right. I mean, (laughs) she shows up and says, yeah, I killed the Cardassian soldier or, you know, Starfleet shows up and says she killed the Cardassian soldier. And, uh, and, and if that had actually happened, everybody in that bar would already know that there was a dead Cardassian soldier because that bar would have been burned to the ground.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But, but I, I, again, I go go back to my, my kind of problem with that scene. And not a serious problem, but, mm-hmm. it, you know, just it, it's so perfect that the data is given that line to spell out exactly what everybody in the bar is supposed to know. We're looking for a Bajoran woman. She killed a Cardassian soldier. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that. Remember I just said that. Right. Okay. Right. Really? You
1: <laughs> haven't seen her? The Bajoran mm-hmm. woman who killed the Cardassian soldier? None mm. of you have seen the murder of the Cardassian? <laughs> well, bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So you're a foodie.
0: Yeah. A little bit. You're
1: a food nut. Yeah. You're a food guy. Yeah. Um, I figured that this would be right up your alley. Um, mm-hmm. The H- Hasparat. Yeah. Or or Hasperat, depending on which part of Bajor you're from, apparently. Right. The Hasparat sounds amazing. When they're talking about it, I'd say, and I'm, I'm guessing maybe some ginger, maybe a bit of horseradish. I don't know. Except except brine as well. There's also a brine. So maybe it's like yeah, a horseradish yeah. salt. I can't really say. Sounds absolutely incredible. Looks exactly like a veggie wrap. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then when she's going on about it, I just I kept like just replacing those words like, my father made amazing veggie wraps, right. the best right. veggie wraps you'll ever eat. <laughs> like, yes, You'll make veggie wraps for me and I'll make something that actually takes work like a pie. And then, right. uh, you know, yeah. then we'll dance because, you know, why not?
0: Yeah, I, I was wondering what part of it her father actually made. Was it the, <laughs> the, the tortilla maybe slash lavash bread that they're using? <laughs> right. Uh, was it, was it the cream cheese spread inside? You know, what was it? Yeah. And, and what part of that would actually, uh, Make your eyes water.
1: Well, what part of it that you make would make your eyes water? Because, look, there's stuff that grows in the ground that'll, you know, put hair on your chest or take it off, depending sure. on, you know, which way you're applying it. Sure. So, I mean, whatever that green thing is could actually burn, right? Sure. But her dad's not making that green thing. That's no. lettuce.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's
1: lettuce. And her dad's not making lettuce, unless we're speaking slang for money, in which case her dad's not making that either. But, you know. Yeah.
0: No, again, I I go back to Wharf like, chowing down on everything he can get from the buffet. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, wow, Hasperat, and it's hot, and, it, and it's got – maybe maybe there's a tentacle to be found in there. I'm thinking maybe something like a Cajun stew of some sort. But no, it's it's a veggie wrap.
1: I assume the internet has done this for us, but if we can't find a recipe for Hasperat, mm-hmm. we might need to have a contest. Oh, I think that's a good idea.
0: No, and I, I will tell you that the, the first time I watched this episode for our purposes here, I then wanted a veggie wrap. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I would have settled for a burrito.
1: Yeah, sure. But that, yeah, that's fine. A burrito would yeah. work. No question.
0: A big moment of drama. I only have 20 seconds. to Put in the right password there. I put in the right <laughs> password that that is drama <laughs> right there.
1: It was very Rocky Jones. I watch, I watch, um, I think I've talked about this before. I don't watch Rocky Jones, but I watch Mystery Science Theater 3000, which has Rocky Jones. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they'll be like, they're coming alongside us. And then you just sit there on them and then they'll (laughs) like, you know, jar themselves. yeah, like original, original Star Trek, now that I mention it. And then they're like, oh, they came alongside us. It's like, okay, yeah. You kind of tell (laughs) them rather than showing there, but (laughs) I understand times are tight.
0: Now, why does the Enterprise Shield have a weak point? and and why could you pass a ship through it i mean i'm thinking I mean, maybe there's a weak point maybe just the the shield's kind of overlap or something the shield emitters maybe they they don't quite reach in one place maybe you could maybe you could toss like a baseball through it you know but but a, a shuttle yeah is big is right? very big and um and i kept thinking you know they're on the bridge they're describing this again that there might be a ship creeping up on us you could literally just go look out a window. That's true. You could just walk behind the bridge, and and because there there are literally dozens of windows on the Enterprise. I'm going to say there's at least forty seven windows on the Enterprise, and somebody you don't know, you don't have to leave the bridge. You could radio somebody. You could use a communicator and go, "Hey, somebody in the back, could you yeah. go look out a window?"
1: We actually found out recently that there are uh, there are crew people stationed uh, in the warp nacelles. Right. Yeah. Just call one of them. Like, look out to you. Which side are you on? Okay, look the other way. <laughs> right. And tell me if you see anybody. But if it's anybody you know, just don't. I mean, don't don't let on. Look, right. look casual.
0: Look casual. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, we got a Packled shout out. Let's yeah. Get another one of those. Only seen them once. But but now we've had a couple of shout outs here again, building that consistency as we just barrel toward the end of the series
1: um i'm expecting a big comeback uh, for them between now and next week's episode
0: okay good good let let me know what happens you
1: got it you got it
0: um oh there was a line that i really liked uh macius uh describing tarot is we're just going to celebrate to celebrate I, I look, I know that we're not at the morals meetings messages part of our show yet, but I, I love this bit of wisdom and I wanted to park it here because I think it's maybe not the takeaway <laughs> message of this episode, but it was a, it was a nice little moment. And, yeah, it is. Uh, and a, yeah, good little bit of wisdom to have on a, on a, a button or a, a t-shirt or, or what have you.
1: Celebrate just to celebrate. It's mm. not bad. And then you can have, uh, you can have sort of like a, um, like a caricature maybe of, uh, Macias. Uh, because I think he, his face lent him well to that. In fact, I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of a more mm-hmm. Claymation good guy slash bad guy. Oh, yeah. Or just okay. a more Claymation person since Maceus. Yeah. I think actually, yeah. he actually reminded me of um, Jimmy Durante from the Frosty the Snowman cartoon, which, which was a cartoon, not Claymation. But right. I, just kept, I just kept wanting to make this guy Claymation, um, <laughs> which made me think we've had an animated Star Trek series, and we've had at least – Well, at least two live-action Star Trek series. Yeah, that we know of. Maybe more. I'm not sure. Uh, I would love to see uh, Star Trek The Claymation series. Mm. Although we do have Bad Robot, not Bad Robot, um, Robot Chicken. We do have Robot Chicken. But that's just, that's parody. No, I want to see Star Trek The Claymation series. Internet, please get to work on that. (laughs)
2: Seriously, who thought a party for Ro Laren would be a good idea? It is not that she did not deserve a party, but who actually thought she would enjoy one? We'll get to the full,
1: rich, Hosperat flavored center of the show in a moment, but first... But
0: first, a word from Blue Apron, a better way to cook... Now, when you hear the care that Blue Apron takes with sourcing its ingredients, with changing up recipes, with delivering food directly to you, you might think that Blue Apron is expensive. Not really. I mean, if you're eating off the dollar menu every night, then yes, it's expensive. Otherwise, it's actually really affordable.
1: Yeah. For less than $10 per person per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-proportioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. You'll be making things that uh, you didn't know you could make. In fact, John, um, I got to ask, we, we've got recipes coming up from Blue Apron. Can I please make the nummy sounds this time?
0: Oh, OK. All right. All right. This time, yes. All right, are you ready? Here, here's the dramatic reading of a few of the recipes this month. Whole 30 approved seared steaks and warm lemon salsa verde with roasted broccoli and sweet potato. Mm hmm. Whole30 approved chicken and kale orange salad with spicy tahini dressing. Mmm. Spicy pork and Korean rice cakes with baby bok choy. Mmm. Vegetable fried rice with togarashi peanuts.
1: Mm Mmm. Mmm. Mm, mm, mm. So
0: it's all sounding great. And you might have heard me mention those first two are Whole30 approved. Well, for eight weeks, and that ends at the end of February 2018, Blue Apron is teaming with Whole30 to bring you delicious recipes. The menu will feature two Whole30-approved recipes each week, like the ones I mentioned, as well as uh, Mexican Spice barramundi with avocado, Togarashi Chicken Lettuce Cups with avocado, and uh, Kale and Sweet Potato Salad. Kickstart your new year with Blue Apron and Whole30.
1: And we can't say enough good things about their ingredients, both their quality and their sustainability. The meats are responsibly raised, the seafood is sustainably sourced, and the produce comes from farms that practice regenerative farming. Now, all that leads to good meals about which you can feel good and and meals from which, if you're like me, you will learn. There's a ton of stuff. Ginger. I would see ginger in the grocery store and think, what is that and why would anybody want it? And then, you know, and I know know like ginger snaps, right? And I know like ginger Mm -hmm. candy. But I don't know about cooking with ginger. Or I didn't know about cooking with ginger until Blue Apron. And then, you know, they sent me just as much as I needed. I, I did everything I was supposed to do with that. And now I'll, I'll go through and, and pick out a ginger root. Not too big, not too small. Basically, what I'm saying is cooking with Blue Apron has helped me up my cooking game.
0: Nice. Well, you can check out this week's menu and get $30 off your first order with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait.
1: That's blueapron.com slash mission log. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And a huge thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this week's show.
0: Ken, we mentioned toward the end of our previous segment that um, Star Trek The Next Generation uh, is just doing a bang-up job of continuity. Yeah. Now. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so but it, it is really impressive that that the problems that we encountered with the Native American colony in Journey's end uh, that they were actually seeing political repercussions of the decisions made on that show that it, that, uh, that everything is tying in here with the the Cardassians and that demilitarized zone. Um, how interesting that would have been if maybe we had revealed that a couple of seasons ago, but'm I'm, I'm glad that, uh, for what we have here.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess. I mean, it's uh, how soon are you going to go to continuity? That's the thing. I mean, you and I talked a while ago. I guess it was around the time of um, family, Uh, around Mm -hmm. the time of uh, Gene Roddenberry's passing when the the reins were firmly uh, handed over to a whole crew of of new people. Um, We're going to start to see a change in Star Trek storytelling at that point. Now, it didn't come as quickly to Next Gen as it came other places, Um, I will say, because we're not watching Deep Space Nine yet, I'm assuming that stuff that's happened in Deep Space Nine is sort of spilling over into this, right? The Cardassian War, as far as anybody watching Next Gen goes, uh, pretty much just like ended. Yeah, Didn't actually start. (laughs) Just kind of (laughs) stopped. And now we have all these repercussions. I'm assuming that we're missing something uh, or, or, you know, we're not yet to something uh, that maybe would have informed this a bit more.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, but but the, this little taste of it that we got, it, it, it's nice. To, well, it, it's nice that we have a Cardassian back who we actually know from that previous episode, instead of just literally every time you have an alien, it's just going to be a different actor yep. as an <laughs> alien. You know? Yeah, they just
1: got tired of new admirals and new Cardassians. They're like, you know what? Do we still have the makeup from the other guy? Right? Just bring mm-hmm, just yeah. bring that and uh, Nachev suit still hanging around here somewhere. So you know. <laughs> Yeah. Continuity, as we'll call it. Continuity is what we'll call it. <laughs> or, or we'll call
0: it Shirley. Um, now, there, there is something that is wonderful in this episode about the relationship between Picard and Roe. And, um, and by the way, not, not just that, because I, I think this maybe bears a little bit of discussion, that rather interesting cover that they're using in the bar when he finally comes to meet her, which I don't understand why he would go to meet her. I don't think he necessarily has to do that, but it is very dramatic that that scene that they have.
1: Oh I can't um, I can't imagine that she's radioing in that frequently at this point. I think he no, did, I think no, he no, did but... have to go meet her because I mean what's what's the what's the term? Uh it's a bad term. I don't know if it's a bad term. She's she's gone native at this point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean she she is somebody who's been sent to, you know, who's been sent to well, infiltrate. She's been sent to spy and now she's been sent to lay a trap. And and suddenly we're not hearing from her. And the last time we did hear from her, while she said she was still on program, uh, she was definitely expressing misgivings. I think Picard had to go because who else can go? But I don't think she's I don't think she's following protocol at this point.
0: See, I was wondering if it had to be Picard. Picard is the captain. Yes. And this is a dangerous place. And for all we know, he's down there alone. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, I, you know, again, it, it serves the drama of the story, but but what it really serves is that they have this build and these many layers to their relationship in this story. I, I love when she first boards and he's looking out for her and he does something we have really never have seen him do, which is, which is to lie to get a friend out of a jam. Hmm. It's such a nice moment to see him crossing way in the background. She gets the radio call. um, Hey, I need to see you on the bridge. And he's just standing there outside the door. What a great moment that that seemed like a, a real camaraderie. Yeah. And further down the road, uh, when she comes back to the Enterprise, also a dangerous thing to do, but she comes back to the Enterprise. Um, they had this genuine closeness, even when they talk about the mission. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just thought all of this was such good stuff. Um, and then what an interesting choice to play their scene in the bar as this seduction-slash-negotiation for, um, as you say, companionship, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh, to serve as a contrast to the seriousness of the mission.
1: And yet there's an incredible—I mean, I almost feel like this should be in the next segment, but there's an incredible— The way that was—I was going to say—the way that was directed, but it was Patrick Stewart directing. So the choices that he made, both as an actor and as director here, I mean, he when when they have their foreheads together, that is a that's that's a very intimate Mm -hmm. um, uh, way for two people to be, Mm -hmm. and yet they're saying some of the hardest stuff that they could possibly say to each other while they are that close, while they're physically as close as they've probably ever been. Yeah, he's saying to her, "If, "If you screw this up." I will bury you.
0: Yeah. Right. There's a real sadness there to the to the whole thing.
1: There's a real yeah. sadness, but at the same time, there's a real. It, it, this is a crazy. This is a crazy thing to liken it to because I don't think there are many amazing dramatic moments in the movie Batman Returns. I'm talking about the second one by Tim Burton. <laughs> right? The second one yeah. by Tim Burton with uh, with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Keaton when they're on the dance floor and and you know they're falling in love with each other as Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle. But then, while they're on the dance floor, as Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle, they realize that they are standing there. These people who are, you know, trying to get closer—they're mm-hmm. also each other's mortal enemy, uh, Batman and the Catwoman. And there's an amazing, there's an amazing physicality about that. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're—they like each other. They fight each other, and they have this one moment that's like really just a beautiful, actually, physical closeness where they're where they're frightened of what's going to happen next. Right. And that's that's sort of what I saw in this scene as well. And I'm sure yeah. there are actually good movies where I could talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean not that that's not a good movie, but oh it come to think bad. of it there's another yeah, yeah uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in uh, The Age of Innocence as well. I mean she actually has a few of those although there's not the there's not the The Age of Innocence it's just sadness. I mean it, it, these are enemies. Uh, Picard and Roe may well be enemies by the time this episode is over. We don't know in that scene whether they're going to be, but they may actually be enemies at that moment. And there's a fantastic, like, ah, there's a fantastic uh, pathos, I suppose, where these two people who who just who feel the world for each other uh, know that they are just you know right on the brink of being torn apart.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's marvelous stuff, um, and 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 again, may, maybe that would have been best served uh, in the wrap up of the show. But I I feel like that is so much the heart of this episode. Yeah, um, is their relationship, and, and not to indicate that it, that it's any kind of romantic relationship. That that scene in the bar is clearly the cover, but but what it does is it, it reveals this. This intimacy that they have Mm -hmm. in their respect for each other and their their uh, conflict and dedication to their jobs and, and all of that coming up in one place in one moment. It's really terrific.
1: It also goes from being unbelievable to being so incredibly intimate, as you say. Um, when they're just you know, sitting down and she's supposed to be a hooker and he's supposed to be a John, she's pawing all over him, but in ways that don't even make sense. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. like I was watching mm-hmm. and I was like, could they not decide where their hands were going to go? But then by the end of it, I mean, they are, I mean, that's just two people. I don't want to say in love, like romantically, but these are two people, you know, both in love and in fear, I think. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. you're right. It's kind of an amazing, it's kind of an amazing, uh, kind of an amazing scene. Uh, As far as ethics, Mm -hmm. how do we feel about the fact that Starfleet is leading Federation citizens? I'll grant you rogue Federation citizens, but Starfleet is leading Federation citizens uh, to their doom because we know that that's what's going to have to happen. Right? Yeah. There's no way that the Maquis are going to stand down. There's no way the Maquis are going to lay down their weapons and say, we're sorry, we won't do it again. Please send us back to, well, it's not really our home because we got kicked off our home. But please send us back to where we were, and we promise to be good from now on. How do we feel about that? I mean, I'll say tactically, I think it's a good move. Morally, um, I'm sorry, which which universe are we in when we're dealing with the yeah. Starfleet?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, well, that that's quite the question. Um I I, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah.
1: What did Picard say? We talk and we talk and we talk. And then when we think there's no point in talking, we talk some more. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we know where the Maquis are now. Thanks to Rose infiltration. We know where the Maquis are. We know Mm -hmm. where they're going to be. Mm -hmm. And Rose says, basically, I'm leading into a trap. And Picard's like, yeah, duh. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, you are. And what's going to happen when everybody goes there with guns? Because the Maquis show up armed, right? Because they are ready to destroy that convoy. So when they show Mm -hmm. up and the convoy is not there, or the convoy is there, but Starfleet's standing between them, (sighs) guns are cocked. I mean, it's going to go off at that point. And obviously, Starfleet ships are going to win over, I mean, those great but small Federation ships.
0: Yeah, I I wish that they had left in Those few lines uh, that are in the deleted scene where Picard says to Roe, I will be forced to disable their ships.
1: That's just another way of saying kill them.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is.
1: But we know that anyway. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it might have been it might have been cool to see that line. But I mean, it's made clear that I mean, what's going to happen is the Maquis are going to die. Mm hmm. And that doesn't really seem like an idea that Picard would have. And even if it's an idea that he had, it doesn't feel like an idea that he would share. And if somebody else came to him with that idea, I don't think it's one that he would get behind.
0: No. Well, you would hope not. At least not the Picard that we've seen up until now. But I mean...
1: Unless we're doing like sort of a bloody version of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. mm -hmm. Which is possible as well. I mean, you kill, what, 150 Maquis... To, to keep hundreds of thousands of people from dying? Okay, on paper, that sounds great. But you're still setting them up to die.
0: Yeah. And uh, like you said, you're setting up Federation citizens, or at least rogue Federation
1: citizens, yeah. for, for
0: exactly that.
1: Well, Picard's um, not going to do that with anybody, though. Picard, not in this episode... Yeah, another Picard, another Picard from the 100, whatever other episodes we've seen, is never going to let anybody do that. If Gul Ivek said, yes, we know about these rogue Cardassians, and so what we're going to do is something we call triangulation. I'm going to be behind this moon over there, and those other, those other Cardassians are going to be over there, and then we're going to get these bad Cardassians like, right in the middle, and we're going to vaporize them. Picard would warn those Cardassians, even if they were coming to destroy a Federation outpost, because there's no way Picard's going to be okay with that, uh, except in this episode. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it is uh, it, it is incredibly complicated stuff. And then, um, so the, it, there's the other kind of ethical dilemma here. And I, it, it, I, I guess the thing that's jarring is that We don't really see Picard grapple with that ethical dilemma. We we see him take the order and decide here's our course of action. And we we don't really have a moment of him saying to Nechev or anybody else, like, as you just described, okay, we're potentially killing off people who were part of the Federation. we're going after our own people we we don't have that moment and and
1: we're not even going after our own people we're leading them into a trap we're lying to them about what's available to them and then once they get here we're going to kill them i mean we're going to give them a chance to not be killed Mm -hmm. but if it comes to it i mean that's what they're going to have to do
0: yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't have <laughs> anything else to add to that because right. that 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 lays it out. No, I mean that that, that lays it out. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Said
1: we don't. I mean, there's the one thing. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you know they get there. Maybe you add another five minutes to the show, and they get there, and the Enterprise says stand down, and the Maquis <laughs> say no, and then they go to fire. But Data and Geordi have tech the tech somehow where they can't fire, and so then we've just led the Maquis to prison instead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not mm-hmm. sure that
1: I'm not sure how much better that is, no. but I mean, you know, maybe it's something. Maybe we can assume that no, they wouldn't actually have killed them. Although it really looks like that's where it's headed.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. But and because the episode did not end that way, mm-hmm. um, what what we do end up with is Roe deciding to uh, to to ditch Starfleet, and and rather than face a court martial, she goes off to uh, to join the Maquis. And and that then is the the central ethical dilemma of the show. Um, it, this episode is her story, mm-hmm. and and the, and we're left with a question about if what she's doing is right. And, and I put that in quotes because I, I don't mean is it right to aim a phaser at Riker? I, I think clearly that's wrong. Um, But I do mean, is it right to leave her duties and career in Starfleet in order to join a faction that is maybe arguably morally right, but carrying out horrible actions? Mm. They have a a legitimate political point, but they're carrying things out in a terrible way that go against everything that Starfleet supposedly (laughs) stands for. and the right. things that supposedly Roe had uh, had had sworn to um so i think we can definitely uh, agree that the the federation plan uh has got some serious ethical holes in it mm-hmm. um but we're left in the end to wonder like okay well who are we pulling for here are are we pulling for Roe is Roe do we dare put the word happy is she better off by doing this by going there you know, she's just sort of swayed by her personal and emotional reactions to this, um, and and that should override her duty, and and otherwise the the decision that she she could be making, which would be to, to carry out her duty, uh, enjoy the protection of the federation, in the comforts of her job, and maybe these other people get killed at the end of the day, but in the interest of saving hundreds of thousands of others.
2: With Rolaren joining the Resistance and Captain Picard brokenhearted, it is time to see what we can take from Preemptive Strike.
0: Ken, we've reached nearly the the end of the end Mm -hmm. for Next Gen. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're almost there. But but for our purposes today, we've reached at least the end of this one, the end of the penultimate episode of Next Generation Preemptive Strike. And, uh, and we're going to wrap it up here to ask what were the messages and what were the morals. Uh, but before we get to that, we need to ask if the episode holds up. So I ask you, Ken, does the episode hold up?
1: I think so. I think it depends on how you're asking the question, though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this reminds me of, uh, of A Private Little War. A Private Little War, for people who don't remember, was an original series episode where we go to a planet and we find out that some, some people who live on the planet have weapons that are more advanced than it seems like they should have based on their uh, technological ability. And it turns out the Klingons have taught those people how to make weapons, and so then we start arming the other side of the people on the planet, the people who are just having their clocks cleaned because, you know, the other side all of a sudden has amazing weapons. And so we start arming uh, the other the other people on the planet, and then they start arming the other people on the planet, uh, the Klingons do, with, you know, greater weapons, and we do the same thing. And it was sort of like an analogy for, um, or uh, it was analog to what was going on in Vietnam at the time. And what you and I found fascinating about that episode was... Generally speaking, Star Trek gives you an answer. Generally speaking, Star Trek gives you a way out. There's like, okay, well, yeah, it's stupid that we're racist, but just stop being racist. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Or something like that. And Next Gen does the same thing. Well, it's stupid to be addicted to drugs, but here's an idea. Don't be. Okay. Well, thanks. (laughs) I guess. I'm pretty pretty sure it's just that easy. But um, generally speaking, it gives us a way to go. And this episode, as you pointed out, just you know, kind of left us with a big hairy mess. Now, on the one hand, I would say that this episode holds up. Yes, absolutely, because it's incredibly well acted. It's it's very well written. Um, it 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 pulls all the heartstrings it can find, and then some. I mean, it sort of does what Star Trek normally does, which is, you know, have you sort of examine a thing and then make decisions about it, make ethical decisions about it. The thing is, I don't think there's a right answer at the end of this. And that's why it reminds me of A Private Little War, which I thought was amazing because it gave you so much to think about. Um, I won't say I want everything to be handed to me. I I do tend to like the the, the, when somebody comes out with a possible solution. And maybe it's not a solution that's going to work in the real world. But if we can aspire to, you know, the solution that worked on Star Trek, then we can aspire to maybe do that kind of stuff in our own lives as well. And this is – at the end of this, this is just like, well, that, well, that stinks, right? Because Roe is absolutely right to go join the Maquis, and she would have been absolutely right to stay and fulfill her duty to Starfleet as well. Mm-hmm. There's no, There's no clear answer here. And so, yeah – Uh, Does the episode hold up? Yes. As an episode of Star Trek, I would still say yes, because I think we thought a private little war did as well. Although it's a bit different, because in the end, in the end, I'm still not sure whether what she did was right. I mean, what she did was what she had to do. And I don't think you could say that what she did was right. But I don't think you can say that what she did was wrong either. So, yeah. And then, of course, there's the acting that we talked about and uh, and a really good, um, a really good directing turn for um, for Patrick Stewart. I remember a time or two. I don't remember all the episodes, but I remember a time or two not being overly impressed with this direction. Um, yeah. He crushed it in this episode. Save the best for next to last. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, his other episodes tended to be data heavy, you know, like phantasms. Which uh, uh, was fun uh, in a way, but <laughs> not, you know.
1: 50% of Mission Log agrees.
0: No, I mean, it, it's it, it, Phantasms gives you some iconic imagery. Yeah. You know, the, the, the dream state stuff. So, okay. Yeah. But it, it's also relying heavily on data. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to be a lot of his episodes. Because when you have a talented actor like Brent, cool, make him do stuff. But here we have a talented actor like Michelle Forbes. And we get to do something a lot meatier. mm mm-hmm. um, It's a really solid episode and and not the least reason of which is that michelle forbes always has such presence in her characters so and it's stuff like this it makes me wish we had gotten more from her than we did Mm. you know we we got little pieces of her along the way and we set up this interesting backstory uh with her being bajoran and being raised in this camp and and really having a, a legitimate bone to pick with uh the Cardassians, and and i love in this episode that we made it real by having that attack on the uh, the maquis camp by Cardassians. Mm-hmm. We, we needed to see a thing that then pushes her again that says yeah th- th- this isn't just a thing that happened in the past and it's not a thing that's just happening happening politically out there in space it's a thing that's happening to real people that i know um so it's good storytelling and, and not just Star Trek storytelling. It's good storytelling in general. Um, and it, it made the political, in this case, personal um, and very effectively. So, yeah, I, I agree with you that it, it's, not, it's not Star Trek in the respect that we've gotten these sort of, uh, you know, moral lessons and platitudes handed down from Star Trek. Say here, war is bad. Mm -hmm. Racism is bad. It's not that at all. But it's a solid piece of storytelling with really terrific acting, really good direction. Um, And it it, it continues to flesh out this bigger world that that Star Trek exists in. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm left with this, you know, uh, again, this quandary about Starfleet doing something that maybe another Picard would have said, no, we can't do that. Yeah. But here he's he's kind of he, he's not pulling the strings, Admiral Nachev is pulling the strings. But they're both okay with that. They're yeah. both okay with the idea that okay, well here, here's what we're gonna have to do.
1: <laughs> Heading to yeah. the big screen, we might be moving from talkie picard to action picard.
0: Mm, In yeah. color. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so what about messages then?
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't like any of the ones I find. I mean, in the end, yeah. Picard like you know, Picard's like, "Hey, I'm counting on you. Hey, I'm counting on you." And in the end, it's like, "Wow, that worked out well." Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kept honestly only satirically or only you know in a joking way. I kept thinking, "Well, that's what you get for giving somebody a second chance." But I mean, that really is. I mean, that like if you try to figure out what the messages are in this, it's not a message episode. It's a dilemma episode. It is definitely an ethics episode. But it's not, don't eat paint. It's not, don't be racist. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely war is terrible, and that is, you know, all through this episode. She was turned into what she was turned into because of it. These people have been displaced because of it. Um, but it's not a, well, just stop fighting episode, because I, I, I think I believe what I said earlier. It would have been, it would have been absolutely morally right for Roe to stay with Starfleet, and it was absolutely morally right for her to leave. And so how do you get a message out of that? I don't know, though. I mean, did you find messages, sir, that maybe I missed?
0: Well, I, you know, that's why I parked the one up front that I did, which was Macy is saying, uh, uh, celebrate, just celebrate. Yes. <laughs> you know, that, that's not the message of the episode by any means, by any stretch.
1: Even that's a bad message because he says, you know what? I'm not going to wait to celebrate. I'm just going to celebrate. Yeah, right. Well, wow. wow. So, I mean, come if, on. If he'd,
0: if he'd only been a little bit earlier with know, that, though, yeah. he, he could have enjoyed the celebration.
1: Let's go to the market. Wait a minute. I have the stuff for Hosperat at home. We don't have to go to the market. Let's just quickly duck into a doorway and yeah. not get shot. Yeah, exactly. And so, so then really the message is make sure you have all of your ingredients on hand at all times. Yeah. Yes. Good, no, good point. No going to the market for you.
0: Yeah, no. I, like I said, this is uh, an episode with a, a moral question and, and moral ambiguity at, at its core. I, I feel bad for Roe that that she says uh, to Riker at the end that this is the first time in a long time she feels like she belongs somewhere. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, I, I don't think that is a failing of. Starfleet and her experience there, but I, I think that's an unfortunate position to be in, and and maybe even more unfortunate that for her to feel like she belongs somewhere, it's going to be in this enormously difficult place. The, the, you know, look if we were to check in on uh, this particular Maquis faction in in a year or two or three, and I'm not saying that we are because I'm rather certain that we don't. Um, They probably wouldn't be there. Now, I I do know that we have uh, Kalita coming back on her own, but I I don't know that storyline yet. That's why we don't jump the timeline here. So (laughs) I'm I'm just going to leave that out there. And sure, those of you who are playing the home game and already know the answer, cool. But, um, you know, I, I feel bad for Ro here in her journey, but we're also left with this feeling of, well, this is what Ro needed to do. She needed to fulfill this for herself. So, yeah, like, like you just said, it it would have been right for her to stay and it's right for her to go. Um, to, to try to pull something out of that, like, uh, you know, to, to follow her feelings, to, to follow her heart like that. Hey, Ro, you do you. Um, that, that just, that seems terrible. (laughs) That just seems absolutely terrible. So, uh, no. So at the end of the day, what we're left with is, uh, Uh, a conundrum and an ethical ambiguity so does that hold up sure ethical ambiguity all around because that that that's the sort of uh, uh uh an evergreen
1: mission log is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer rod roddenberry roddenberry's into a ton of stuff uh including podcasts we're uh we're particularly fond of those podcast.roddenberry.com to check out what we're doing there. If you'd like to help support this show, we would really appreciate that. Patreon.com slash mission log is the way to do that. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com.
0: Next week, all good things.
2: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11 online at Warp11.com and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at K-I-Theory.com.
1: So, so here is, is what I'm hoping when Kalita comes back. Yeah, here's what I'm hoping, that she's going to come back and say, Hello, my name is Kalita. And they'll have a conversation. It's like, Oh, I was just talking about this the other day with my friend, Ro Laren, who is doing very well. <laughs> I am glad to say to anybody within earshot, and then maybe just a knowing look at the camera, mm-hmm. Ro
2: Laren is just fine. And transmission.